my name is Richard Dixon, and 59 years ago, I started my life in cloth diapers. Ashley. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so We're excited. We are. We're launching a podcast. How exciting. Hi. Welcome, listeners. It's pretty cool. I'm excited to be a part of it. Good. I'm glad. Um, I'm well, first of all, how are you today, Ashley? I'm doing well. I'm trying yeah. to keep my house from reaching above 76 degrees. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> are you having some AC problems? No, I'm just very cheap. So oh, I, yeah. I try to keep it around 75 and then uh -huh. it just gets overwhelming and I have to, it ends up working harder to get it back down. And, uh, I mean, it's like yeah. 106 outside. So uh, yeah, it's hot out there. So, you know, but, but Hey, that's, that's all right. I can appreciate that. I can totally appreciate that. Well, I am just really excited. I'm really excited about our guest today. Our guest is Richard Dixon. Richard uh, is a fun-loving husband, father, and grandpa living life to the fullest. He loves raising his four grandchildren who keep him young and exhausted. He has been blessed to be married to a wonderful best friend for 36 years, creating adventurous memories along the way. He has worn many hats over the years in corporate management and nonprofit organizations. His day job is involved with the Community Action Agency of Greater KC, helping to improve the health and safety of poor homeowners throughout the Kansas City area. His passionate life project is dedicated to helping traumatized families create peaceful homes through a nine-step online parenting course he created called Drama-Free Parenting Academy. When he's not working on serving others, his time is spent writing stories for children's book series called Sophie the Unicorn. He loves traveling with his wife and grandchildren, making memories they will cherish forever. Not only that, but Richard is a client of Happy Bottoms and he serves on the Happy Bottoms board, and he is just an incredible human being. So I hope you all enjoy Richard Dixon. I was at an Amethyst House uh, presentation a week ago, two weeks ago, uh -huh. and uh, they spoke very highly, and uh, I told them uh, my new role with you guys. So they were very excited about that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> all right, let's rock this then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. Richard, we, we've, we have, we have tested this podcast a few times and in just that few times, I've learned what I'm sure I knew somewhere in my brain, which is that cloth diapers haven't been around forever. I mean, sorry, no? disposable diapers have not been right, around right. forever. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, I'm a, I'm an old pro at cloth diapers. Yeah. I, I bet. So did you, well, first of all, tell us, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Richard. Okay, so yeah, I was uh, I was born to a 17-year-old teenager in Monroe, Louisiana. Wow. And uh, my mother was unable to take care of me, and so she uh, packaged me up and sent me to Kansas City to live with my aunt. So for the first two years of my existence, I was living with my aunt and not my mom. Okay. Wow. So, was the aunt older than your mom? I'm guessing. Yes, she was. She was my. She was my mom's yeah. older sister. Okay. Okay. And uh, her and her husband uh, 
took me in as a newborn and uh, I lived here in Kansas City, got my, uh, got my, uh, my smoke on. I, 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 my my uh, uncle was a chef at a restaurant as before your time called Don's World of Beef. Wow. And uh, I remember him taking me there as a little little kid <laughs> back in the oh day when gosh. when the urban core was a real hopping place. Oh, yeah. And so I lived here in, in a uh, area of the city called the Projects off of 12th and Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It was called Wayne yep. Minor. Yes. And I uh, uh, lived there. And, you know, my childhood was pretty, pretty non, uh, there wasn't a lot of drama in my childhood. Uh, I, I didn't know about poverty um, back then. We just, uh, we, uh, I grew up around my aunts and uncles who were, my uncle was six months older than me. So he was like a brother, big brother. Mm-hmm. And my aunts were, of course, a little bit older, but we were all in the same family pod, so to speak. And we, we just we didn't know what poverty was. We just, you know, we were kids. Right. Right. And I didn't really know what poverty was. I didn't learn what it was until we moved from the projects to out south to where the upper class Ooh. people live. Right. The middle class. Right. people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Two cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I knew that I must have been poor. <laughs> How these... old were you when that happened? Do you remember? <laughs> uh, I was in the uh, like the third grade, and okay. uh, I realized that okay, these people have cars. They have two cars and nice cars. So I must have been poor <laughs> because our first car was an old Carver. I don't know if wow. you remember those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we could stop the way we stopped our cars. We put our our foot through the floorboard of the of the car to stop it on the pavement. We could see the street. I'm not. I'm not oh, making this up. Not. Oh I'm not making God. this up. What? We could. We could <laughs> see. We could see the street from inside of the car. Flintstone style. <laughs> so. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know about poverty. I didn't know about we were poor. And then we moved out south. We um, we had neighbors who had a Cadillac and had another car. I'm like, wow. wow, wow, this is how middle class people live. We must have been really poor because we lived. I grew up on uh, in the projects, grew up on commodity food. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's before your time, too. I'm, I'm sure I'm dating myself here. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, we enjoyed those kind of foods because right. that's all we had. Right. Right. And well, so you didn't know any different. So we, we you didn't know, know any. We didn't know you any had different. a roof over your head and you had food. We had a roof over our head, had food. You had love. My mom eventually. My mom eventually did move uh, to Kansas City, and okay. I joined back up with her as a young child. Mm-hmm. And she eventually got married to my uh, stepfather, who was in the military out on the Richard Gabar Air Force Base. Oh wow! And. Um, that that was kind of the beginning of my childhood. And, you know, my parents, they both worked, um, worked and went to school. My dad went to school as an engineer. He was one of the first minority engineers hired on by the city of Kansas City. And uh, there is a street named after him in Zona Rosa uh, because that was his last project that he worked on before he passed. That's so cool. Yeah. So just a little history there. But yeah. uh, 
What's um, but, the name you know, of that street? It's called Dixon Avenue. Of course. I yes. love it. And there's actually, a, there's actually an apartment building named, uh, there's that named after, uh, on that street as well, named after him as well, Dixon. Wow. But yeah, so it was, uh, you know, our childhood, my childhood was cool. Um, You know, it was challenging from the standpoint that I was the oldest of three, I have two younger sisters. And because my mom and dad worked two jobs and went to school, I ended up raising my sisters, right? I ended up taking care of them. Uh, My my sister under me is seven years younger and the one under there is 13 years younger. So uh, I was the one that cared for them. Then you went on to have some of your own kids. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I went on to uh, eventually I, I graduated from high school, went to KU mm-hmm. uh, and had a great experience there. I had too much fun my first uh, two years there. And so I ended up coming back at Kansas City and finished school at Avila mm-hmm. College and got married to my college sweetheart. And Aww. we uh, we didn't have children immediately. We uh, She worked, uh, she was an engineer. She worked for Bendix back then, the uh, aerospace uh, uh, manufacturer. And uh, we eventually, we uh, discovered that uh, I couldn't have children. We couldn't have children. Mm-hmm. And um, and therefore, we started looking at the options of adoption. And so I was a little selfish initially because I thought, man, this is going to mess up our lives here. If we adopt, you know, I just I was very hesitant. But we finally jumped on and jumped in and, and adopted our first child on April 13th of, of 1990. That was on my wife's birthday. We flew to Chicago to pick up a, her birthday oh, gift. Oh, <laughs> wow. What a gift. Yeah. So, <laughs> Probably haven't <laughs> topped that one. <laughs> no, no, haven't. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's how it all started. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a very interesting uh, ride in uh, raising uh, Jordan as our first son, our first child. And um, he was... Um, incredible individual, uh, very talented in a lot of different ways, but had a lot of challenges, uh, uh, you know, emotional challenges that as parents, uh, we weren't quite uh, prepared or ready for or equipped with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, we, we, we try to do our best with raising him, but we uh, eventually had to surrender him to medication to help him make it through school, right? Yep. And uh, that was unfortunate, but that was kind of the way that parents had to do back then if their children were diagnosed with ADHD or other mm-hmm. emotional or mental disorders. And so that's what we did. There wasn't but enough education at that point in time, right? Or... There wasn't enough education and there wasn't enough research at that time. Re- yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, we read a lot of books. We tried everything that we knew how and it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And you know, we would receive phone calls every day. We were in the Blue Valley School District at the time, and we would receive phone calls every day from the administration that they couldn't find our son. Now, mind you, our son was 6'1", 6'2", 200-something pounds, and uh, dark chocolate and very charming, and they couldn't find him. And that's with an assigned uh, counselor, <laughs> right? Wow. 
and that Blue Valley Northwest, the school of you know a couple thousand people uh, students, they still couldn't find him. So wow, we we would get calls every day, and and you know, uh, but he did graduate on time. And uh, wow, (laughs) (laughs) sounds like he probably had some great skills. If he's uh, that (laughs) noticeable, of like, yeah, I don't want you around. I'm gonna, you know, right, right. What I want to do. That's that's yeah, you know. (laughs) And you know, for 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 our children, for Jordan and for our our, our not, we had a daughter, Alexa. She was three young, three years younger than Jordan, and then we had our youngest who's actually um, uh, related to my wife. He was my wife's uh, cousin's son and uh, she had MS and she died wow. when he was two years old. We were already taking care of him. And so, uh, so, uh, so yeah, we adopted all three of our children as, wow. as babies. And uh, um, that was a great experience. Thankful that we had Pampers and pull-ups at those times. I was just going to ask, so did you have to, you didn't have cloth diapers then? Do you find that you used disposable? Thank thank goodness we had uh, Pampers then and uh, Mm -hmm. were able to move forward with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But Happy Bottoms wasn't around back then. So um, we had to incur that cost on our own. Mm-hmm. Let um, me. Okay, wait. I gotta. I gotta back up. I've. Uh-huh. I've so many. I have so many questions. Uh-huh. Um. So first, I want to go way back. So when uh-huh. you were little, little, and you moved from the projects to to the south. So was that kind of a? You were living with your aunt at this time. No. So uh, my mom moved uh, back to moved to Kansas City. Okay. Back. Uh, probably when I was three or four years old mm-hmm. and uh, she moved in the, in the projects actually right next door to my aunt. Okay. And so, um, so I was able to reconnect with her um, at, as a, I think four year old, five year old, somewhere along that, that age. Okay. And, um, and then she met my father. I think they got married like in 69 or something like that. So I must've been eight or something like that. Okay. And is that when you moved out of the yeah. projects? Okay. Yeah, that's when we okay. Moved. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was, I'm guessing I'm making assumptions and you know, that's never a good idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> so was that to try and make a, you know, at that point, right, you're yeah. living in the projects. You didn't know that you're living in poverty, but I'm guessing that your mom yeah. and dad did. So that was kind of sure. trying to make a step up. Yeah, it was my, my parents' first uh, home purchase mm-hmm. and at uh, 5723 Brooklyn. Wow. And uh, so that, that was their opportunity to, you know, yeah. to do better, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, my father... Uh, he was a hard worker um, and both my mom and dad were both hard workers. And, um, you know, we didn't have, my father and I, we didn't have the best of relationships and, you know, because a lot of his time was consumed with work and school, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, at City Hall, they worked in like a Hebrews, I don't know if I can say this on, on your you can, podcast. Yep, you can say whatever you want. They worked in like a Hebrew slave <laughs> while he was there mm-hmm. <laughs> at City Hall. And so um, we didn't have a lot of time together. So yeah. that was those were some of the regrets that I had as a young teen and as an adult moving on. But yeah, that's how that was. 
So then, I mean, obviously that was a good move and they were successful because you managed to go to college and, you know, you've been pretty successful yourself. How, and then I'm just, I'm just, well, obviously you get your work ethic from your parents. You said they work hard. I know that you work very hard. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Very, very hard. And then, you know, you've now adopted these three children back in, what did you say? Starting in 1990. 1990. Yep. January 9th, 1990. Yeah. So I think, and, and you said a little bit, you were resisting it a little bit, being a little selfish. Maybe that's what you said. I think mm-hmm. I would be that exact same way. So, you know, looking back now, cause you know, you went from one to three, right. And I, right. And, I and I know some more of your story that we're going to get to in a minute. So right. you're about the least selfish person I think I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, 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 that's, that's been pruned out of me over the years. Okay. <laughs> I was like, did, did that kind of change after that first adoption? Did it just, did you just love it? Did you just have so much love in your heart that that's really what you wanted? Well, was it, yeah, did some uh, of these was, things just happen because life happens, right? And that's just where you end up. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I had so much love in my heart, uh, to be honest with you. I think uh-huh. that it took, um, it took uh, growth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. understanding uh, the great need that existed out there with children and, you know, from our own family, you know, from my youngest uh, mom passing away, you know, and being there to step up, there wasn't anyone in the family that could step up and take on um, my third son. I mean, my second son, my third child. And it just, you know, it, it kind of, laid this groundwork of <laughs> what our lives would be and that is stepping <laughs> up to the plate right yeah you know and yeah yeah and, definitely and so I, I think um it wasn't until later on in life that i began to grow uh, a heart and uh, compassion and um even though my mom was always that way but uh, it took a while for me to grow into that mm. so so I think that was, you know, kind of the thing I had to learn and had to come to to maturity on uh, mm-hmm. in that regard and uh, to begin to understand that perspective of life, you know. So could you tell us something in your life that has grown out of a personal disaster? Yes. I, I, and, you know, before I jumped to there, there, there is one mm-hmm. one trait that I wanted to share about please. with my mom. Yes, please um, do. She, she was a she never quit. And that's probably the one quality that I, I gained from her. And my freshman year in high school, I tried out for the high school football team like most kids did back then. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't I never played organized sports prior to that time. And so. I tried out for the football team and um, practiced and everything. And the day came for the first cuts. I made, I made it past the first cuts. Then the second cuts came along. I made it past the second cuts. Then the last cuts came along and I didn't make it. I didn't make it. And that was very devastating. Mm. However, the coach did not encounter or did not consider and did not calculate that 
my mom would be the one that he'd have to deal with. And so she, <laughs> she uh, uh, had, had a little uh, come to Jesus meeting with the, with the coach and mm-hmm. the, team the next day. And uh, wow. I eventually went on and became a starter, um, both offense and defense throughout my high school years. And, you know, had a great, great time, great experience. But my mother instilled in me the, 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 the never give up. You know, I, I like this. I like this new quote that I've heard a lot of people mention is that it's hard to beat someone who never gives up. Right. And yep. uh, I just I just believe that I, I believe that's the hallmark of who I am. And really, it's it's kind of been what uh, managers and my bosses have always admired that I just I stay level and I don't give up. You know, I just keep plugging at it, keep going straight forward ahead and, and don't stop. But uh, but anyhow, I wanted to mention that. I love it. Well, and what an what a great advocate to have in your corner for you, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. That's yeah, really she awesome. was that, and, and then so. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, for me, it was uh, th- that actually dovetails into the devastating thing is when you know she got she got sick, mm. and uh, you know we had gone through some life changes ourselves um, um, back in. 2000 and um, 2003, my wife and I, who had been leading a church for 10 years, stepped out of the ministry and um, we started two businesses and um, we were doing, doing really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were, had two real estate businesses going and we were doing wow. really well. And then, as you know, the crash hit in 2008 and uh, that uh, we lost everything. We lost wow. all our investments, investment properties. We lost our Johnson County home. We lost everything. And um, it, was, it was by far the most devastating thing that I had ever experienced. And unfortunately, it was something that my, I had teenage kids at the time that had to go through that with and so it was a very, it was a very low moment, very low time for us. And mm. uh, I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember one day uh, we were, we were at the, at our home and if you probably haven't experienced this, but if you've, if you've always had the, the fear of having your car repo, then every door knock and every phone call, you always jump. Right. Mm-hmm. And so here we are, we're in a, we're in our Johnson County home and there's this knock on the door. Now I'm thinking to myself, I look at my wife, I'm thinking to myself, it's probably the ones, they probably the repo man, that's what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> so I open the door and I open the door and there's these two little old ladies there out there outside the door. And I say, how can I help you? And they say, well, we're here to repossess your car. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, what am I gonna do? <laughs> am I gonna, I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, threaten them or be tough <sighs> with them. Right, <sighs> and you know, in front of my neighbors and everything else, they asked me if there was anything in the car I needed to clean out, and I said sure, and I had to go clean it out, and clean the car out, and <laughs> they took it away. You know, I mean, and, and I'm guessing you just now. I mean, maybe you did, but I I don't know. Can you help me and and the listener? You know, I have been very fortunate, and I've never 
worried about the repo man knocking at my door. Um, <laughs> what, I mean, do you, do you, does that ever go away? I guess, you know, even, even when you were starting your own business and you were living this life and, you know, before the crash, do, yeah, do that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, let me just tell you that um, I, stupidity is, is, a, is a great teacher. Oh, <laughs> yes. And sometimes it's just nice to be stupid too, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. So um, I might get to your question in just a second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, um, I hadn't lost a car before, and so I was determined to purchase, repurchase the car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So I did. Right. And at that time we didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, we went, moved in with my mom. We were homeless with three teenagers mm. and uh, moving from Johnson County to, to my mom's house, a shotgun house in the South part of Kansas city. She had a, uh, suppose it supposed to have been a three bedroom, but it was more like two and a half bedrooms. So we moved in with my mom. Um, my daughter slept with my mom. My wife and I had a room. My oldest son slept on the sofa. And my youngest son, I'm not for sure where he slept. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, that was our life for the next two years, next year and a half. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it led to me writing my first book, When Morning Comes, because it was at the lowest moment and the lowest, lowest point of my life that I just, I couldn't get up there. I couldn't get up in the mornings and I couldn't see my way out of this dark hole that I was in. Mm -hmm. But uh, there were some little old ladies in a writing group uh, that I joined up because people started talking about writing this story. And they, these little ladies lifted me up and helped me to start writing this story about what we had gone through. And, and I published my first book back in 2011. But in the process, I got a chance to be with my mom. Um, and that was a great experience being with her because at the end of that uh, year and a half, she got sick. And, mm. and we, uh, well, she began to get sick. She had cancer and she, she recovered from that. And we moved out eventually, moved to Lee Summit because we had to get out of where we were, moved to Lee Summit. And a year or two later, she got sick again, and we moved back in with her to help her. It was right before Thanksgiving, and uh, we moved in with her to help her. And uh, she got sick right after Thanksgiving and went into the hospital, never came back home. Mm. And uh, she passed away in January that, of that next, that next year. And six months prior to that, there, there was an idea that came to me about this you per, you've seen me talk about duct tape life and that's where this idea came from because at the time we were taking care of my mom we were taking care of our first granddaughter and we were trying to just hold everything together and that's where this idea came together about holding together right right <laughs> yeah so, and so that was just that was very very devastating uh to have her uh leave like she did and to not have her voice, not have her presence, not, you know, see her knowing how much she loved, you know, 
uh, you know, our, our kids. And, you know, it was just a very, very low time for our family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I tried to think about all the good things that, you know, I was able to experience while she was here and what we learned. But one other, one other thing that, that happened, this car that I had repurchased, uh, that got repoed, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I couldn't keep the payments, right? Uh. So the second time around, they called me. And they said, yes, Mr. Dixon, we, we are going to come out and get your car. And for a moment, I thought, they, got it. they don't know where I'm living, so they can't... <laughs> I'm living with my mom. They didn't know that. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I'd hide it. And I thought, well, I could just hide. We can just hide out for a while and they just won't get the car. <laughs> but my conscience wouldn't let me do that. So oh. for the second time, my car got repoed again. Wow. And so I learned, I said, you know, I, I got to, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I thought, I got to learn these lessons. How can I be this age and not learn these lessons? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But um, uh, oh, I did eventually learn some lessons and I haven't gotten a car repo since that time. Uh, but, um, but yeah, there's always this thought of, of things not going well. And that actually comes from a, another idea and that's limiting beliefs that I developed as a kid as a mm-hmm. two and three year old um, limit that's where limiting beliefs develop right during that period mm-hmm. of time between two and seven and the limiting belief that developed was because of how I came into this world and that is that I wasn't with my mom and I was born on a wedlock and therefore I believe that things were always going to be hard for me and that I would always have to climb the Mount Everest to achieve anything and so there's always this thought that there's something just not going to work. There's something that's just not going to, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to uh, just push the metal, the pedal down to the, the floor, the down and just plunge through because otherwise if I just hesitate for a moment, it's all going to fall apart. It's <laughs> going to work. Um, <laughs> I don't subscribe to that mindset any longer. I've since replaced that limiting belief, but it, it, it dominated my life for the most of my childhood and adult life. Wow. And um, it's, it's a unnerving feeling to always feel or think that something's not going to work, even when good things are happening, you know? Right, like waiting for that other shoe to drop. Waiting for the other shoe constantly. to drop, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah, I've, I've replaced that limiting belief with, uh, with a more positive, more confident, more empowering uh, thought. And that is that things will work and that mm-hmm. there is there are systems and ways to doing things that can, um, you know, ensure your success. And, you know, there's a different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Because it's you even I mean, even the way you say it. You said, you know, it was always going to be hard, but you would right. push through. So right. like, even though it was hard, you knew you'd push through. You knew you'd be fine. Right. So then yeah. it's just shifting it that, okay, it's not going to be hard. It's, you know, I got right. this. I can. Well, yeah, yeah. I just just for it. instance, like, I, I'll just give you a, a current day. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I guess we're being personal here. So uh, a year ago, a year ago, 
I knew that 2021 would be an incredible year. Mm-hmm. I knew that before 2021 came around. And therefore I purchased a, this is my little idea book. I purchased this book and in this book, there are pages that are listed that, that list out all the blessings that were going to happen in 2021. Wow. Now I would, you, if I were to share those with you, you wouldn't believe me. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's beyond, it's beyond belief. I mean, I have at least three pages of just blessings that just keep happening. And again, I, I think it's just it's a shift in the in the mindset, a shift in the limiting belief. Of course, this time last year, I was going through a course that was helping me to make this mind shift as well. Mm. And so I, I'm just because of what I've experienced, uh, that's why I'm so excited about the things that I get to share and how I can, ways I want to partner and do other things to help other people because of what I've gone through, right? And mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. So I think that leads into my next question a little bit. Maybe we'll see how you answer this. <laughs> I, probably, I probably messed up all your questions. I'm no, sorry. No, you didn't. Actually, I'm about ready to throw the questions out and just keep talking because I really like this. Actually, actually, I have to do a lot of editing on this podcast because you know I don't, I don't jacked up the format and everything. No, I love it. I love it. Um, well, you know, we're all leaders in some way. Can you tell me how you're a leader, and if there was a defining point or person that led to that? Sure, it was. Uh, I was in the fifth grade, and I was appointed uh, um, patrol captain. Nice. And I remember going to patrol captain camp out in Lake Chicomo. They have, Are a, you they, have a, they have a camp out there uh, <laughs> that trains the patrol patrol captains. And uh, wow. uh, you know, for a for an inner city kid to have that experience, I mean, it just it just it set the tone for me. I, every day I got to I got to leave class early. I got to get all the all the all the uh, patrol. Uh, uh, crossing guards in place and give direction and give instructions. I mean, I was pretty big. I was pretty hot stuff. You were. <laughs> I think you're still pretty hot stuff, but well, not- <laughs> about that, but, but yeah, that, that was, that was pretty defining for me. And mm-hmm. I think it just set the stage for how I would believe about myself. Yeah. As far as the ability to lead others and to give directions and those kinds of things. Well, and, go ahead. And then th- that eventually uh, would lead into, there was an, another situation. Uh, one of my teachers, my speech teacher in high school, Ms. Bassa, she's probably the most influential person as far as in how I speak and, and what she instilled in me. Uh, she told me back then that if I wanted to succeed in this world, that I would have to uh, master the English language. And uh, I took that to heart. And wow. because I wasn't, I wasn't a very, I wasn't conversational at that time, but mm-hmm. she saw in me a, a, I guess, the gift of speaking and wanted me to make sure I understood 
how to move forward with this gift that I had. And so I've always given her the credit for my speaking ability and opportunities I've had uh, from her. And what did you study in college? I, I, I started off as engineering because my dad was an okay. engineer, mm -hmm. but I didn't have the aptitude for that. And I ended up getting my business degree with a, with a emphasis in legal. Oh, wow. uh, I had a chemist, I had another teacher that said I should go into law and I considered that I had a great, some great uh, um, law professors at Avila, um, but I actually did a legal law internship uh, at Spencer Fane, Britton Brown and uh, considered law, but I walked into one of the largest law firms here in town and um, they offered me a position in their uh, tobacco division. And I looked around and I thought, this is not for me. Mm. I don't wanna be a part of this a sweatshop. And I just, mm -hmm. I walked away from that. But, um, but anyhow, no, I, it was, it was, it was uh, I love, uh, you know, speaking. I love being in front of people. I love having the opportunity. I'm not actually speaking in a few weeks um, at, at our church. So I'm looking forward to that, but anyhow. Awesome. Well, so I also know that you just launched a new business and I feel like you are very much a leader in that. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners about that a little bit. I appreciate the opportunity to share about Drama Free Parenting Academy. Uh, it's my uh, latest uh, entrepreneurial uh, launch idea that uh, came about a few years ago as my wife and I were raising our three grand, our four grandchildren, <laughs> eight and six-year-old granddaughters and our three-year-old grandsons. And it became apparent to us six years ago, that's uh, our oldest granddaughter was two, that she was, we were seeing this replay <laughs> of parenting mm. and children who had emotional challenges and mental health disorders. We were seeing this replay in front of us and we thought, wow, we don't wanna go this route again. We had a friend of ours who was a counselor and she referred a person to us who was in the foster and adoptive program, that arena. And uh, we met her and she introduced us to trauma-informed care training and this whole approach to trauma-informed and care, uh, the, the whole practice of it. And from there, we were introduced to a specific type of parenting called Trust-Based Relational Intervention, TBRI, out of Texas Christian University by Dr. Karen Purvis. We were so impressed with this approach, this mind shift of parenting that we we just immersed ourselves in this teaching and trainings and conferences we wanted to understand everything about how to do this because we saw hope in this process we saw hope in this this opportunity that we could change our parenting so that we could help our children our grandchildren right mm -hmm. And so we became evangelists of this, of this new way of parenting. And mm -hmm. I, I 
I consumed the research that was out there and was reading all the articles I could and wanted to have a good understanding of how to do this and, and why it worked. And, you know, I wanted to know that and the results. And we began to practice this with our grandchildren that because it was obvious that my oldest uh, grand, my grandchild, Malia, was exactly like her mom. Mm. Same symptoms, same behaviors, but it was instead of it taking place as a teen, it was taking place, you know, as three and four and five and six years old. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> we got to find some way to do differently. And so we saw, we saw hope with this. And uh, as we learned to do it, we, we began to see that the changes could take place. And so an idea was born a few years ago that the conferences that we were a part of were mainly with clinicians. It wasn't with parents who were desperate for this kind of information. It was still very new and very uh, limited as far as who knew how to do it and who was practicing it. Well, it became my idea that this should be available to those who are needed it the most, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. And how else, what's a great way of getting this out there? And I thought the online would be a great way of how to get it out there. And so I started two years ago with working on this idea of creating an online course for parents and caregivers of children who've incurred trauma. And I saw this as a way to be, not to, um, to, to break a cycle, but to create a new cycle for parents and caregivers that they could have hope because we were involved in uh, groups and communities and seeing these, these caregivers and parents share these stories was heartbreaking. And they didn't have any direction. They didn't have any the resources of what to do and where to go and how to handle a child who's, who's having a two-hour temper tantrum and they're eight years old or they're 10 years old that shouldn't be happening and I've been spanking them but it's not working and I'm, and I'm knowing that this is not going to work you can't keep spanking the child because that's not going to work and mm -hmm. you can't keep using timeouts that's not going to work you can't use these consequences that you've been trying to do when you learn from love and logic they're just not going to work because your child has been traumatized right and therefore there is a different perspective. There is a different path that you must take mm -hmm. to help each child. And so I, I began this and I began to be, put this together, but there's still one piece that was missing that I didn't have altogether. I, I understood a lot of different things. I had some theories about things that uh, I was testing, but there was one piece that came together last fall of 2020 when I took a parenting course from the Giant Institute. And that was the missing piece. And that missing piece confirmed what I had believed years ago. And that is that to help a child um, modify their behavior, you can't address the child's behavior. You must first address the parent's behavior. And I, I believe that because of some other things that I went through um, as a paraprofessional with my mom. And I just saw then that you, you have to address the parents' behaviors. And that was the missing piece. And so drama-free parenting is, is all about first addressing the behaviors, modifying the behaviors of the parent. Mm. Now that's a that's hard. That's a major challenge because 
you, uh, and I'm not, Ashley, I don't know if you have children or not, uh, but mothers will, will climb the Mount Everest. They will exhaust all their resources to address the behaviors of their children, right? Uh, and so to make this mind shift that the real solution is closer than you think. You got to do the work within. The real solution is right there. It's with, it's with the parent first. Mm-hmm. So there, I love this challenge that is facing me with, with addressing this mind shift that must take place. And that is that uh, the parent's behaviors must be addressed. Mm-hmm. The parent's behaviors must be modified. They, if they can realize that they are the key to their child's uh, success, behavior change, then there will be a tremendous buy-in because they then will understand that that their modification, their behavior modification will make their child's path and journey easier to undergo. And because That's- they will be, they'll be able to speak from a, from a position of experience that they've gone through it and now they can help their child go through it. And I can only imagine that that is incredibly difficult for adults, especially the adults who need something like that, right? Because because then because because we're human. We're all human, right? Oh, you mean there's something wrong with me? There's something what nothing's wrong with me. And then you have to address your own issues. And I just um I think you're right. That's so so important but so so hard sorry did i lose I'm, you no that's okay we lost yeah okay okay go ahead ashley yeah. i was just gonna say i'm so fascinated that this is where the conversation is going because richard when you were talking about you know as a child you always felt like you know the shoe was gonna drop you know you're one thing away from it all falling apart i thought of exactly this because my ex-husband and i about six years ago Uh, wanted to adopt internationally mostly me but I brought him into the process as well because I kind of had to Um, and we got really close and in the process they recommended that I attend this week-long conference and it was Karen Purvis's you know trauma-informed parenting right and um you know the the it's been six years like I say but um it's just a totally different way to parent and I remember them saying that even infants who, you know, are adopted right away by their new caregiver, their brain changes. They understand that there's a separation that's happened between their mother and their self. Yep. Um, so it, it, you, it can even happen, you know, for, for infants that are adopted that they still are, you know, victims of trauma and loss. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. I'm glad you, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank yes. you. We will definitely drop um, a link to the information in um, the little description so that people who listen to this can check it out. But I do want to get to our last few questions. What do sure. you value? What do you value most? Time. 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 It's mm-hmm. the one thing that everyone wants to protect if they can mm-hmm. get it back, right? Mm-hmm. If I can get time back with my mom. If I can mm. get, time, you know, if I can go back in time, you know, we're always fantasized about traveling back in time, waiting for that, for that to really happen, right? <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've gone back in time, right? Exactly. Now, let me ask you this. Would you get, would you actually get any sleep if you had more time? 
Yes. Really? Yes. I didn't think you'd say that. I thought you yes. were just not. Yes, because, <laughs> because the, I, the, that, that's the old Richard. Um, there okay. was a point in time when I thought that I just didn't need sleep. Uh -huh. I just, uh, but I value sleep. Now, yeah. uh, I, I, I want to jump in the bed as soon as I can, but <laughs> yeah. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I want to so jump in the bed, bed and kick my feet up and my hands up like a, a you know, a, a turtle with his feet, you know, uh -huh. turtle back. I want to do that, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that I, I don't and I can't. And, and I, so yeah. I, exi I exist on five hours on average and two to three most nights. Mm -hmm. uh, so wow. that's just how it is. And I, that's, that's my life. But yeah, time. You yeah, know, that's a great uh, one. I mean, I'm, I, I want time. I want time now. I want, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's what we're, that's what we want. And I love that answer. I love so, it. Yeah. So why do you think some of us end up in a pile of it and some of us get out clean? Yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had to ponder that over, over time, not just because you've asked it, but mm -hmm. um, I've had to ponder that question because I can look around and for me right now, and I hope I don't get too emotional here, but, um, you know, for me, my, my peers are traveling, right? Mm -hmm. They're empty nesters, right? Yeah. And they're successful. They, they did what was right. They went to school, they went to college, they got the degree, they got the job, they had a nice house, they had their kids, the kids graduated from school, from college. You know, th those, are, those are my peers, right? And so I, I'm happy for them, right? And they're, they're they, they admire who we are and where we are and what we've done for them over the years. But the fact of the matter is that deep down within me, there's this, this double-edged hurt of, boy, I sure would love to be able to go to Jamaica with my wife and just kick it up on a beach, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I got some friends right now that are, are going to apply for residency down in Mexico and uh, um, their daughter's at MU and, and they're just, they're ready to go, you know? And I said, well, just make sure you got enough, you got a nice place and it's close to that's the, gotta, the water. No, that's got to sting a little bit because you are, you are starting all over yes. again. Yeah. All and over. you know, it's, it's just, it's just, it's one of those things. And so I try not to live there in, in the sense of, you know, why are we in this situation? I, I don't, I don't, I stay away from that in that right. standpoint, because that uh, I never think that asking why is a good way to approach addressing your issues because it's a trap, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but I do think that, uh, I do believe that there are decisions that, that you've made in the past that add up to where you are today, right? I believe mm -hmm. that there is a part of that. And then I think there's a part of what you've gone through in the past that prepares you for what you go through currently. And that's the X factor, <laughs> yeah. right? That's the, you know, we're raising four grandchildren. 
and um, we can't travel and we can't have babysitters and we live on two to three hours of sleep a night. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. that's, that's the world we live in. But I think that part of that came from preparation from years before. And, um, and therefore the creator sees that we are the ones that are capable and able to handle this, this challenge that we are facing in life. And so I accept that because I believe the creator doesn't make any mistakes. Right. And so I accept well, that. And it's, I mean, it's amazing what you are doing for your grandchildren and the education that you and your wife went through to kind of like we talked about earlier, right? You made the leap out of the projects into a different neighborhood and you are making the leap to change some of this cycle. And that is just, I don't know people understand how hard that really is in so on so many different levels sure, sure so many different levels so you know i'm sure it's no consolation but kudos to you well, <laughs> i mean well, thanks, thanks yeah <laughs> well you know and, and, I, and i think that you know that there's there's a lot to be said with that but i think that you know i try to just appreciate what we have, right? Mm -hmm. Appreciate this moment in time. Yeah. yeah. Because things change, things move quickly, things are always happening. Right. And I, I try not to live in the, in the arena of, you know, what it could have, should have kind of things. Yeah. And, um, but just to appreciate it. And I think that those that don't appreciate what they have get trapped in time and space, mm -hmm. right? They get trapped and we see them. Uh, we probably know people that are trapped and mm -hmm. they're trapped emotion emotionally. They're trapped, uh, you know, psychologically, uh, physically, they're, they're just trapped. And, yeah. um, and so I, I think that, you know, accepting and learning are, are keys to be able to move forward and, and, uh, and not allow that your situation to keep you, you know, down or depressed or whatever right <laughs> you know? right as the sun shines brightly on you right as you said that the sun when, just like yeah, opened the sun up just came, sun just came on out and it? just <laughs> shine its light as bright as it could while you were saying that i wish everybody could see that that is amazing yeah. um okay i have one last question for you yes. how do you think that we are the same well, I think that um, we all have a conscience. And I think that how we choose to go to bed at night uh, is the difference. <laughs> but <laughs> but we, we, all, we all have a conscience and we can, we can answer and respond to that conscience and try to improve each day, right? Because of what our conscience is, is prompting us and pointing us and revealing to us. And uh, I think we all have that. It's not just, it's not based on race or it's not based on economics, it's not based on education. We all have a conscience. Mm -hmm. And uh, therefore I think that it, how we respond to that conscience is what is a different, you know, the difference different. in who we are and what we do. But, you know, I choose to, I, I want to go to bed with a, with a clear and good conscience at night, you know, mm -hmm. 
knowing that I did my best today. <laughs> you know, I can't go back to what happened yesterday. It's done deal. My mistakes and whatever else is done. Right. Yeah. And I can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, but I can just, I just want to be happy with the day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate you going so deep and sharing so much with us. Um, it's, you are such an inspiration to me. Not only will we drop the parenting information in um, the information section, but we'll also link to some of your books because I know you have several of those as well. So um, keep just being the amazing you. We are so fortunate <laughs> to have you on our board now. And well, I just, just want to lift you up. I think, hey, you know, I, I am where I am because if I get to run, rub shoulders with awesome people like yourself yeah. and Ashley. And so, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just feel really fortunate. So I uh, thank you for having me uh, hang around you a little bit. And uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to these next few uh, pages that are being written here on this journey that we're on. Awesome. 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 Well, thank <laughs> you, Richard. To, to know you better, Richard. All right. Well, yeah. Ashley, thanks for sharing that, too. That's cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about what you're doing. I can't wait to see what happens next. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. We'll, we'll talk to you, you again soon. All right. We'll talk. Okay. Take care of yourself. Bye. You too. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Isn't he phenomenal? Oh my God. I knew, had no idea. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, um, I think that just kind of left me speechless. I don't know about you, Ashley, but that was, I, I could sit and listen to him for hours and I want more and we will definitely have him as a guest again and just discuss more about his life. Yeah, he has an amazing story. He's able to um, talk about it eloquently. I mean, I, it's mm-hmm. obvious that he's a writer. He's very good with speaking, and we're just really lucky to have him as a part of Happy Bottoms, and I'm glad to get to know him better than I did before this, so it's really exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, we hope you all enjoyed, and we hope to see you here for our next podcast in a few weeks. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.